Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 69th episode, and I am here after the Italian Grand Prix. And I must say, it was quite a show at the Temple of Speed. But before we review the on-track action in front of the Tafosi, first, a quick reminder to check out the link tree in the description. It has links to pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast, like my YouTube channel, Break Buys Twitter, and my TikTok. It also has my email address if you'd like to contact me, as well as my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Now, let's get into the action at Monza. Forza Ferrari! A pole position in front of the Tafosi. We're getting right into the Ferrari stuff, guys. Come on. Carlos Sainz was on it. And yes, I am choosing to laser focus on this result instead of what happened on Sunday. At the end of the day, this pole will be more memorable than, honestly, even the record-breaking 10th win in a row that Max Verstappen achieved this weekend, in my opinion, anyway. Um, so what a job from Carlos and the Ferrari team. They clearly have a pretty strong low downforce package. Um, I did have a bold prediction that pole would be uh, Leclerc instead of Sainz. Um, I also had Leclerc finishing P2 in the race. But I should have remembered, Carlos was pretty mega here last year, and he just had a grid drop last year. That's all it was. It was just a new power unit. So his result didn't really show when I went back and tried to remember the race. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, so Carlos, or sorry, it was mostly a battle between Max and Charles, and I just kind of didn't even think about Carlos's race because I, I knew the, the final result. But, I mean, he was sensational here last year, and I... Like I said, should have remembered that. Signs led FP2 this year, FP3 this year, and then, of course, Q3 snatching pole position, edging Max out by just over a hundredth of a second. Um, Leclerc was right there, too. It was a sensational qualifying. And then in the race, it was an incredible effort, right? I mean, Signs held off Max, who's in the most dominant purple patch in the history of the sport, you know, he, he did just get his 10th win in a row. That is unprecedented. And he held him off for 15 laps. I mean, that says a lot about the straight line speed of the Ferrari, but also the defensive manu uh, moves from Carlos Sainz. It, it, unfortunately, it was over once he locked up uh, on that 15th lap into turn one and let Max get up the inside into the second chicane and Basically, I find pretty much whoever's got the inside lane, uh, line there always uh, seems to come out on top, unless you can break just way later. But honestly, if you break late enough on the inside line, you're always going to get the position. So it's a tough one to uh, race into uh, that second chicane. Um, but yeah, you know, I really thought it was on for the race win. And I mean, I guess it kind of was. I, I was pretty excited about it. I just think if this track was just a little bit nicer on tires, I think it could have been actually a completely different story. I honestly don't know how some of the drivers kept it on the tarmac. The tires were just going off so badly here. Um, they did like Pirelli did bring um, softer uh, compounds. And I think that was the right call because it did kind of bring a bit of a different element to the race. If they use the uh, harder compounds, basically I guess if you don't understand the C0 to C5 uh, allocation and how that works, basically you bring three, they're always three in succession. So it could be the C1, C2, and C3, or the C3, C4, and C5. It's always going to be three in succession. 
they went one softer this year. I actually don't know which ones they were. I want to say it was the C three, four, and five. I, I actually I don't know. Um, but either way, they they brought one softer and I think it really showed because even the hards did not last that well. Um, the mediums went off pretty quickly. The softs were completely unusable. So it uh, certainly helped Red Bull, but I think it also made for a better race. Um, but yeah, overall, Ferrari can celebrate this race today, I think. Absolutely. I mean, one of the drivers gets his first podium of the season. The other drove brilliantly as well, and they put on an incredible spectacle for the fans. Um, another candidate for race of the season, for sure, after you know we just had a pretty good one. Um, high stakes in Zandvoort as well. I think this race was actually kind of reminiscent of the 2019 Italian Grand Prix. And if some of you can remember that race, um, I'm sure you could probably understand where I'm going with this. And if you don't, let me explain because that race was won by Charles Leclerc. And the last part of it was basically Lewis Hamilton all over the back of Charles Leclerc, but he just could not get past that illegal Ferrari um, and it was the same like ridiculous defensive moves that were put on the Red Bull this year that was put on Lewis then and no penalties were given but you know going off in the chicane getting pushed out wide into the second chicane it was just it was that but then this year we got that with like the entire field I mean no space was given um, signs even did it to Leclerc a couple times at the end too the battle between the Ferraris was almost the most insane battle of them all. Um, but, you know, Sainz did it to Verstappen. Russell did it to Perez. Both Ferraris did it to Perez. Albon did it to Norris. I mean, it was, it, it, it happened a million times in that race. And uh, that's kind of, I think, what made it so fun. It was just very hard racing. Um, if a penalty would have been given there, it would have absolutely been detrimental to the entertainment. I know it's not all about the entertainment circa uh, Abu Dhabi 2021, um, but you know it, it was clean enough, I think, to let it slide. Not to mention, yeah, like I said, the whole field was doing it, so it would have been kind of hard to penalize because pretty much every driver that was on, a def on the defensive in that race would have been penalized. Um, the TV cameras were really just zeroing in on the Ferrari, so we only saw them doing it uh, more so than the rest, I would say. But yeah, um, a great, great weekend for a Ferrari, but I do want to note this. It had a bit of an unfortunate end to it because Signs reportedly, well, not even reportedly, he confirmed this on his Twitter account, um, that he got his watch stolen in Milan later that night, a $500,000 Richard Meal watch thankfully was returned to him and the police stepped in and kind of solved the uh the issue there um but like geez what is with these f1 drivers getting their watches stolen i mean it happened to norris a year ago or two years ago and i want to say another driver recently as well not that long ago maybe it was leclerc i don't know but geez these watches are uh, a hot commodity for the muggers i guess jesus well i Guess to, I want to say whoever was involved in that, obviously Carlos, but if he was with other people, I'm glad they're all okay. And uh, he confirmed that on his Twitter account as well. First and foremost, everyone's okay. And then talked about how he got his watch back too. So that's great. But uh, yeah, I think it's time we shift our attention 
to history. Yes, he's done it. Max Verstappen stands alone with the consecutive race win record 10 in a row. That's absurd. I mean, in an era of F1, that's tighter than ever with 20 quality drivers on the grid. Well, maybe more like 15. But anyway, that's a story for another day. It's an unbelievable achievement by the driver and the team. Modern F1's relative bulletproof reliability, of course, is a big help. But don't let that take away from this record because this really is remarkable. Max really had to work to tie the record too. I mean, these past two races were pretty challenging. He had to get past this insanely quick in a straight line Ferrari and then last race through basically every challenge that could possibly, um, you know, come in a race at Max Verstappen and he still handled it completely um, dominantly. I mean, there really is no other words. Um, well, I mean, there's plenty of words, but I feel like we've all used them. Um, you know, spare a thought for the people like me and, and, and the pundits that have to continue to talk about how great this guy is right now um you just run out of words you you don't even know what to say anymore because he really is just that sensational I mean somebody's got to check Max's heartbeat because like he is just cold-blooded out there on the track right now he just does not make a mistake um so it, it really is just uh, yeah, he, he the way he's driving just has you at a loss for words because it's it is sensational. But uh, yeah, we all know how Max won the race and just how phenomenal he is, or at least you should by now. So I want to talk about Perez because I think it's about time we give him his flowers, or not about time, but when he does perform well, we can't not talk about him because of how hard we are on him all the time when he doesn't do well. I don't know who's we, but I feel like other people are doing the same. I'm saying we on a solo podcast. It doesn't really make any sense. But um, yeah, I really think this was a solid weekend for Checo. I hope that that bodes well for the next round in Singapore. Um, You know, a track that he won at last year. Just we've still never really got a a real challenge between Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. The two races Perez won, Max was like five seconds, and there was like a bit of a time battle going on, but it was never really wheel-to-wheel. And then there was Miami, where even though Perez was in the lead for the majority of the race, and Max was catching him and catching him catching him, but he like he breezed by it. I mean, Max was completely dominant. Had he started at the front, it wouldn't have even been a contest. We never have had, really, a tight battle between these two, and I'm afraid the way this car has gone and the way the season has trended, I don't think we're going to get it. But hopefully in Singapore that can be the case. Maybe maybe Checo can get a good qualifying or get ahead somehow at the start, and then it's a bit of a hard track to overtake, and then maybe we get a battle that way. Um, but looking instead of looking ahead, looking at you know Checo's weekend this uh, past weekend in Monza, it was a bit disappointing to be beaten by a Mercedes in quality, but I think P5 from all the struggles that he's had in qualifying this year, you can't be too upset with P5 about three tenths off max. I believe that's not so bad for, you know, how poorly Checo has been at times in qualifying this year. Um, in the race though, I think he was measured and honestly, maybe this is a hot take, but I think he did the job that Max would have done in this race. I really do think that if the roles were were reversed, 
you know, Checo probably would have won the race um, and Max would have been in second. I think the only thing that you can maybe argue otherwise is that Max would have cleared Russell a lot faster. And then had he cleared Russell, it might have been a bit of a different story the rest of the race. But, um, and you know, Checo probably wouldn't have pulled away from the Ferraris like Max did. So it is tough. It is tough. I think Max could have still won, but that hasn't been the case for months where it was even a question. I really think that at many races that we've had in the past month or or so, um, Max could have won from anywhere against his teammate. I mean, like he basically, basically did that in Miami. He would have done that basically at every other race that we've had, maybe bar Canada was the only one he wasn't like truly dominant, but even then that's months ago. So yeah, hats off to Checo hats off to the whole Red Bull team, a great weekend from them. You know, they handled another test with, um, flying colors. It was another just showing of that. They are on another level in terms of the performance of the car, but also operationally, they'd never make strategy mistakes. They never make mistakes in the pit stops and their drivers had a great weekend. When that happens, they're not going to lose. And that is why they were one, two this weekend. So again, congratulations, Red Bull. You continue to outdo yourself. Now let's move on to the team that we all wish. Well, I shouldn't say we all wish or challenge them. The team I wish was challenging Red Bull and should be challenging Red Bull, Mercedes. They made some headlines to open the weekend, but I'm going to save the contract talk for later. Let's stick to the on-track action for now. On-track instead of contract. I just realized that rhymes. Um, But they were best of the rest in the race. Um, But looking at the weekend as a whole, Lewis, again, a really weird one where he looked like he was on it in FP1, but then it just kept going backwards for him the closer we got to Q3 I feel like he was lucky to make it into Q3 honestly after missing Q3 in Zambord it could have been a pretty bad little qualifying stretch for him and I mean I think it still is because he never looked competitive in Q3 qualifying P8 between the McLarens and as for George he was strong all throughout I think you know getting on the second row alongside Charles Leclerc proves that ahead of Sergio Perez who was decent in qualifying That's an amazing result for George, and uh, again, another great qualifying session while his teammate seems to be nowhere. Um, Kind of reminiscent of last year, and it's very strange from Lewis after he had some quite uh, pointed comments at the beginning of the summer, or the beginning of the second half, saying that he's looking to have the best 10 races of his career, and then he comes out with kind of two qualifying duds. This is what I mean with Mercedes, it's just... (sighs) There's always, there seems to be some sort of uh, false dawn um, is a word that people like to uh, describe this as. Is they'll have they'll have great moments and then all of a sudden it's like they're back to square one and it's just a they seem to be a little bit lost where sometimes the performance looks great and then the next day it's it's nowhere or vice versa. Sometimes they'll be absolutely lost on Friday and then they turn up on Saturday and they look great. Um, usually they're always there or thereabouts on Sunday and that's why they're second in the constructors. And, you know, they have two drivers who are pretty good at maximizing the results, even when their backs are against the wall, but it is an insanely frustrating team to, to cheer for at the moment when your hopes are higher and they never feel like they achieve what you want because, you know, we want them to, um, challenge at the front. And even when it seems like they're getting close to that, it always is two steps back before they make one step forward and, 
yeah, it's frustrating. But uh, looking at the driver's performances um, beyond qualifying, so in the race, George again, he defended valiantly against Perez until ultimately Checo got through on lap 16. So that is kind of the thing going back to Red Bull. Like Max passed signs quicker than Checo passed Russell. I don't think that would have been the case if the roles were, were reversed. Um, but who knows how Max, how long Max would have been behind if Carlos didn't lock up. So that is a, that is a bit of a different layer to it. Um, but I will say this about George. Keeping Checo behind for 16 laps was also very impressive. And I feel like George Russell is one of the very few drivers that never concedes positions, even when it might end up costing him race time. Like everyone just lets Max go by. And I think that is what made this race so special is that Max had way more pace than the Ferraris, but Ferrari defended for their lives against him, where in so many of the other races, they just let him breeze by. And I mean, sometimes there's nothing they can do about it because he just has that much pace in hand. You know, passing them halfway through the straight. There's nothing you can do when halfway up the straight he's uh, breezing by you with DRS. So I guess it should be fair to uh, some of the other drivers. But there are plenty of times, even in the corners, they're just like, nope, go right ahead, Max Verstappen. I'm not going to defend whatsoever. Um, you know, I feel like Lewis does that Um if Max is coming up, he knows, you know what, go ahead, Lando. I find Lando very, very choosy with when he defends. Sometimes he's just like, nope, go Ron right ahead. I'm in my own race. Um, and then, you know, like against uh, Hamilton at the safety car restart, they, they, then he knew, okay, I can defend for my life here. Um, and he was sensational at it. But anyway, George, when is he ever like, you know what, go right ahead. I'm in my own race. Like he is always defending every single position. And I don't want to get ahead of myself at Lewis's incident, but think back to Singapore last year. George was like a lap down on soft tires on a wet track, defending for his life against Mick Schumacher for like P15. <laughs> That's just George. Like he defends every single position like he's in a on a last lap for first place. It's it's kind of crazy, but at the same time. And, you know, that might lead to some more incidents like we know he can get into. But, damn, if he isn't one of the more entertaining drivers for it. So, yeah, love me some George. Um, the penalty he got was a bit silly. Uh, basically, what happened was he came out of the pits and he saw Esteban Ocon just going by him. So, he tried to do a little late lunge on probably pretty cold tires since he just came out of the pits. And he went straight on and then just kept the position and, and drove off ahead of Ocon. And clearly, Ocon, it should have been his uh, position. However, I will say this. It was a bit of a weird one because it was kind of it was a slam dunk penalty for George because he didn't give the position back. And then by the time the stewards investigated it, you know, Russell was way up up the uh, up the grid and, and plenty of seconds ahead of Ocon. So it was just it made no sense to, to give it back to Ocon. He would have lost out massively. But that's kind of the thing is that the fact that he just didn't waste any time getting stuck behind the Alpine who hadn't even pitted yet, he probably gained more race time by taking a five-second penalty and just getting the track position instead of getting stuck behind Ocon. Although, I think Russell should have been able to dispatch Ocon pretty quickly. I think the only thing why overall it still would have been better to not get the penalty is that if there was a late safety car, Russell would have been screwed, and, and so would have Hamilton for his penalty that I'll get into in a second. 
But that is the one thing you have to keep in mind. A late safety car and you don't you don't bet that five second penalty is going to kill you. That's what happened with Carlos Sainz in Australia. You know, he was what in like P4, P5, and then ended up outside the points just because they uh, did a safety car roll over the over the finish line. That's uh that's a tough one. Um <laughs> so Russell's lucky that didn't happen. Um I will say this before I go to the Lewis incident. When George came out, he was kind of in no man's land with the Red Bulls and Ferraris, you know, way ahead, all battling each other. And then Alex Albon just being an absolute roadblock, uh blocking the McLaren's the entire race. He was basically just in the middle. So it was a pretty boring race from then on. So I think that kind of covers the George Russell race there. He finished P5. For Lewis, he was the only driver in the top 10 who started on the hard tire. It cost him a position at the start and then was stuck behind both McLarens for basically the entire first stint. And I think it also hurt that they were one of the last ones to pit off of those medium tires. because he didn't. So he didn't get clear air for as long as he probably would have hoped. But then once he put on the, the mediums, it took him a little bit. A little bit of management of the mediums at the start, but then once he was able to push, he caught up to that McLaren-Albon McLaren pack on the mediums. Also did a great job to clear Alonso fast. And then he finally looks to, you know, put a move on the much slower, grippier, uh, or not, you know, sorry. he <laughs> The slower, grippier car. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, he, the Mercedes was a lot grippier. The McLaren was a lot slower. Under traction, Lewis just had way more of it. Um, so he looks to make the move on Oscar Piastri. And it was just a sloppy, sloppy air from from Lewis. It was a nice switchback. I mean, it was the exact same move that Max pulled off on Carlos. You know, going around the outside of of turn one, you run out of space. But in, so instead of, um, you know, trying to stick it up the inside of turn two you switch back, you you go up on the, I guess, the left side of the track, up around Curva Grande, and then you have, he had way more traction than Oscar Piastri. He gets that inside line, just like Max Verstappen did, but then he just, he drifts way too far over to the right, kind of like George against Schumacher in Singapore, and it's just sloppy. Lewis had the corner. He didn't need to be drifting over like that, and it ended up almost costing him his race, probably. He was very lucky that that incident wasn't any worse. And he ruined Oscar's race. I mean, Oscar had to pit and and get that front wing um, taken care of. So, you know, he did a good job afterwards to power past Lando and Alex and get a five-second gap before the checkered flag. But he also cost a young driver his race. And like I said, he, it was, he was lucky that it wasn't worse. So, yeah, Lewis knew it. The team knew it, and the stewards obviously knew it. That's why he got the five-second penalty. Lewis went and apologized to Oscar afterwards. But he cost the man a couple points at the end of the day. So, yeah, overall, weirdly enough for the Mercedes pairing, you know, both of them get penalties, but they end up maximizing, you know, a best-of-the-rest weekend anyway. Um, so, yeah, they felt kind of off the pace, but still, fifth and sixth, that's where they belonged here. And that's what they achieved. That's kind of just what Lewis and George do nowadays. But, uh, yeah, on to Singapore. I'm sure Mercedes would be looking forward to that, even though George and Lewis had shockers there last year. No shockers here, though, because what a job from Alex Albon. I mean, we have to talk about that, right? P6 in qualifying. Everyone knew the Williams would be decent here because of their straight-line speed. 
Sargent again, though, was his usual self. I think he showed a couple flashes, but he just can't maintain the pace whatsoever or from compound to compound. He looks great on the hard tire in Q1, then in Q2 just absolutely fell off on the medium. He gained like two-tenths from hard to medium. Everyone else was gaining like eight. So, yeah, not a not a good look. Um, the weird part for Mc, uh, for Williams, sorry, um, was in the race. Apparently, according to Albon, they set their car up more for the race than qualifying than I guess they usually do. The only team that seemed to be worse on their tires was Haas. I mean, Albon and the Williams looked horrendous on the tires. But I will say this quickly about Haas. My God, what? A shocking weekend from them. Absolutely awful pace, awful tire management, like so bad. It was easy to miss how bad they were with all the action at the front until the very end. They were brutal. They finished second and or second last and last on the road, um, excluding you know Sonoda who didn't start and Ocon who didn't finish. Haas was like. 12 and 8 seconds off the back of the entire pack and like Formula 1 is pretty close you, you don't see that very often now like that, those are Latifi numbers from last year nobody is finishing that far back anymore unless it's like some they get damage to their car that was just Haas's pace this weekend brutal brutal but anyway Williams looked almost equally bad on their tires they just had the ridiculous straight line speed so yeah, props to Alex Albon defending well, hanging on for another great points day. P7, you know, that constructor's result continues to look, or I should say is looking to be better and better for them. I think P7, they almost have it locked because Haas is not scoring 10 more points. Alfa Romeo is not scoring 11 more points. And Alfa Tauri, I think they would need 18. They're not doing that either. I don't see how they don't finish P7 right now. It would have to be a crazy race for any of those teams. Like a Haas P5, I guess, is not like ridiculous. I mean, it kind of is ridiculous. I don't see how that happens. But, yeah, going back to Sargent 2, um, it looked like at one point a P10 finish was on. But, unfortunately, he it was after Piastri dropped out of the points. He inherited a P10 uh, when he was P11. He was doing fine up until that point, not on Albon's pace, of course. All he had to do was hold off Valtteri Bottas, but instead it was just a very, again, sloppy mistake. He breaks way too early into turn one. Valtteri breaks a lot later, gets ahead of him into turn one, and had better traction under the corner, but the straight line speed of the Williams, you could see Logan start to kind of catch up through Curva Grande into the second chicane. And then you could hear, I watched the onboard because they didn't show it during the race. So I'm sure some of you also haven't even seen this incident. He's, he's catching up and on the team radio. I don't know who his race engineer is. I don't know his name, but he was like, come on, Logan, you can get him. You can get him. You can get this back. You can get this back. And it was almost like bad encouragement because then Logan absolutely sent it up the middle into the second chicane and when you're not significantly uh, alongside you can't just send one up the inside into that chicane you're going to go into the side of the other car and that's exactly what happened he punted Valtteri off the road he was lucky to not get bad damage same with Valtteri they both carried on but of course Logan got the five second penalty he ended up p13 and another weekend goes by you know, watching his teammate carry the team on his back. I could just imagine how much pain is in that Albon spine at the moment because apparently it also hurts just from being tall and the G-Force. But speaking of carrying the team, 
Yuki Sonoda, his car just decided to up and quit before the race. So Yuki Sonoda has been carrying kind of AlphaTauri this year, I'd say, with three different teammates. But this weekend, it was all Liam Lawson carrying the team. The, the start was delayed because of that DNS from Sonoda. And, you know, the stand-in on his first full F1 race weekend, because he did not get a Friday in, in, in the Netherlands, he was alone to fight for points for the team. So how did Liam do? I mean, P11 in the race is pretty spectacular. I would say, again, he, he showed a step. He probably showed more of a step this one race weekend than Logan has the entire year. I think Lawson's pace was there or thereabouts. He didn't make any mistakes. The AlphaTauri car was decent enough, and he just kind of put it where it belonged, and that's kind of what you're expected to do as a Formula 1 driver. So to do that this early on in his career is extremely impressive. Um, so I think it was a great, great job from Liam Lawson. The only thing that's unfortunate is we we don't exactly have anything to compare to now, do we? Because if Snowda was up there battling with McLaren or something, then it looks a little bit different, right? And we all know that's probably unlikely, and it's more likely that Lawson was just on the pace for what the car had. But when you don't have that confirmation from Sonoda's performance, it makes it a little bit trickier to evaluate. That's all I'll say. And since we're on the topic of AlphaTauri, a little Ricardo update. Christian Horner, Helmut Marco. Or I think Marco has made a mention of it, but Christian Horner certainly has. He says that Ricardo is definitely not racing in Singapore, and he's also unlikely for Japan. So it's looking like, you know, Liam Lawson is going to get uh, some racing in familiar territory because he's racing Super Formula in Japan. He obviously knows Suzuka very well. So two more race weekends from Lawson. At some two challenging tracks, I think is going to be very interesting, and we'll have a very good idea of his, you know, talent. I think after these next two, um, but it also means that Lawson continues to get a shot at, you know, improving and showing that he belongs in Formula One next year. And I kind of was joking about it before the Italian Grand Prix, like an AlphaTauri driver getting a chance at the Italian Grand Prix and is now going to go back to Williams because that would be the vice versa of of Nick DeVries, what happened for him. Of course, getting a chance in Williams and then getting a seat at AlphaTauri. I don't even think that's unlikely because, yeah, we're through the entire European leg of the season and Logan had a pretty shocking stretch, I would say. He hasn't really shown anything. And last year, I was... So excited for his, you know, his F2 season and the fact that he got announced. I was I was all over it. I was talking about it on this podcast all the time. And he has disappointed me. I think I can finally just admit that I don't think he is going to be um, a great Formula One driver. I think rookies do deserve a little bit more time. Or not, deserve is not the right word. I think they need a bit more time sometimes. But in this case, he's just not showing enough. And uh, unless he turns it around quickly I think he could lose his seat and it could go to someone like Lawson but uh yeah also just a note p11 um for Lawson that means he is now ahead of DeVries and Ricardo in the standings as well so yeah with two races he is already ahead of DeVries who had what like eight and then Daniel who had two himself of course so yeah hats off to Lawson Finally, we get to the results. It was super Max Verstappen in P1. That's 10 in a row for him, of course. 
I have not had to edit his name out of this part of my notes for a while. P2, Sergio Perez, good drive from him. Carlos Sainz then drove to a well-deserved P3 finish with Charles Leclerc finishing like two tenths behind him in P4. P5, George Russell, then P6, Lewis Hamilton. Then it was Albon in P7, followed by Lando Norris in P8. P9, Fernando Alonso, a bit of an anonymous one from Aston Martin this weekend. And then the last point went to Valtteri Bottas. How about that? Alfa Romeo back in the points. It has been a while. Now we're looking at the driver's standings. Max Verstappen with 364. The next is Sergio Perez at 219. That is a massive gap after only 14 rounds. Fernando Alonso is at 170. That gap for P2 is kind of getting a little bit larger, almost 50 points now. Lewis Hamilton only six points behind Alonso. I imagine that will, you know, flop probably pretty quickly. Aston just doesn't seem to have the legs over the course of the rest of the season to hold on to that. Then it's a drop off to Carlos Sainz, who stays ahead of Charles Leclerc and George Russell, who follow very closely behind. It's 117 for Carlos, 111 for Leclerc, 109 for Norris. And then it's a bit of a drop off, or sorry, 109 for Russell. Then it's a bit of a drop off to Lando Norris at 79 points. Then Lance Stroll at 47. He is 123 points behind his teammate. Wow, that is bad. And Stroll was shocking this weekend. Pierre Gasly still is in the top 10, one point ahead of both Piastri and Ocon. Piastri should have probably finished P9 and, you know, rejoined the top 10 this weekend. But of course, Lewis Hamilton had to punt him off. Looking at the constructors, Red Bull extends their place on top. I'm going to just keep that there. It's an ongoing joke because they just continue to win every single weekend. Well, of course, they're winning the race, but they're also scoring the most points every weekend too. Mercedes, they're on 273, obviously a pretty far off um, uh, you know, points margin to Red Bull. Ferrari moves to third on their home race, pretty Great job from them. Uh, they're on 228, so still a ways off Mercedes. But uh, if Ferrari can, you know, stay up there for the second half, that, you know, battle is on. You know, Mercedes could have another shocker, scores zero points somewhere. And next thing you know, that battle is pretty tight. Aston Martin scores just two points this weekend, so they're only on 217. McLaren at 115, 100 points back from Aston is going to be real tough. Alpine's on 73. Williams continues to separate. They're on 21 while Haas sits at 11. Alfa Romeo closes in with one point. They're only one point now behind Haas, but they're going to need two to claim P8 in the constructors just because of Haas's one great result at the Australian Grand Prix from Hulkenberg. And then Alfa Tari still sitting in P10 with only three points. Now let's look at the prize demise and surprise. All right, my prize is going to Sergio Perez. I think this was a really, really big weekend for him. Um, I kind of already explained it all, so I don't really have a whole lot to say. I just thought about it. I'm like, I could go Max Verstappen, of course, because of this insane record. I could go Red Bull as a whole. I could give it to Ferrari because they were great here this weekend. But I thought to focus a little more big picture this time. And I think that this is the exact sort of weekend that's expected from Checo. And this is, you know, a weekend that he needed if he wants to have a bit of like a strong end to the season. Hopefully that's the case because he's going to Singapore, a track that he likes. Japan, 
I'm not exactly super confident about him there, but if he has a good weekend in Singapore, his confidence should be higher and maybe he can sustain it for the rest of the season because I really hope more than anything that he can at least have a strong weekend in Mexico. I think that is always one of the most fun weekends of the year and it's always more fun when Checo is performing well. So I went with Checo here just because I also feel bad for, you know, he probably is leading the prize demise and surprise leaderboard for most demises, if I had to guess. So, um, yeah, he deserves a prize because he was pretty good this weekend, I must say. So now let's probably go to who has the second most demises, and that is Lance Stroll. I touched on it quickly during the results there and in the standings and whatnot, but Wow, uh, P20 in an Aston Martin in qualifying is just not going to cut it. I mean, I do think something was clearly off with him, and I don't think it was just like driver performance. I think something with the car, there may have been some sort of issue. Maybe he just did not nail setup at all. The Aston Martin was draggy, and maybe just his you know, uh, lack of performance in the corners relative to Alonso is just all the, the, all that did it because they didn't have the strength on the straights at all to make up for that deficit. I don't know if that's what it was, but he was a far way off. It wasn't like he missed, you know, he was P20 and he ended up missing Q2 by a couple tenths. Like, I think he missed P19 by a couple tenths. Like, it was really, really shocking. And I have to say, the the other thing is that, like, man, does he make himself look so unlikable in interviews after the race and after qualifying, just... He has that stupid kind of look on him all the time where he's like he's uh, he's like blowing air into his closed mouth. I, I can't I mean, I don't think I can describe it when I'm not on a video podcast. But, yeah, he's just got his like lips out like that. And he's just like, ah, you know, no, no pace in the car today. I don't really know what was going on. But, yeah, just uh, really frustrating and uh, hopefully better next weekend and uh, tough one for the team. Uh, you know, like that's always what it is. Just no pace. Tough one for the team. Looking forward to the next one. Hopefully we can rectify it. Blah, blah, blah. Same, you know, PR response every time. He lo- he It's probably the worst body language on the grid, too. It's very frustrating because there's only 20 drivers in Formula 1. And if, you, if you're going to look like you don't care to be there, then people aren't going to like you. I don't think he really cares at all whether people like him. But damn, if it, if it ain't frustrating, just yeah. So horrible on track, horrible off track, just horrible all around from Lance Stroll. And, uh, you know, I still, through all this, and I know I'm being super critical of him right now, I am a fan. I want him to do well. Like, I I want a fellow Canadian to do well. It's just that I don't think any Canadian in the world has any faith in him, basically, besides maybe the people that know him best. But, yeah, just a really, really tough look for Lance Stroll this weekend. Now, the surprise, I have to say... It's Alpine. I did not think the Renault engine was was that bad. Um, it uh, is pretty bad. I think they have actually made somewhat of a step in reliability. They broke down a hell of a lot more last year. But, uh, yeah, they were just completely off of it here, eh? Just both of them out in Q1. You know, Ocon retired. Gasly was nowhere. They said they knew it going in. I didn't realize the engine was that bad. They clip at the end of the straights. They don't have the, you know, brute force either. Top speeds looked okay, but then just they probably had to take out every last little bit of downforce to even get the top speeds up there. So, 
yeah, just uh, they were surprisingly pretty horrendous. I thought they would be a little better. You know, I didn't expect them to be in the points, but damn. I didn't think they'd be the 10th fastest here either. So, yeah, surprising. So, now the last little bit here. I want to talk about the Hamilton contract. I mean, he is one of the most polarizing drivers, you know, in Formula 1 history. Um, I think, you know... He is a pretty well-hated driver as well. So some of you are probably like, oh, we have to deal with this guy for another two more years. I'm sure that is the case for some. However, I think most people are pretty happy to see Hamilton stay in the sport for a couple more years. You know, it's probably the greatest news that I could receive. You know, my driver will be alongside Russell and Mercedes for another two years. So that was a pretty nice start to the weekend for me. It was the contract we were all waiting for, with rumors dating back to, like, Monaco, I think. And Hamilton had some interesting things to say in an interview about his new deal. So, it's actually more about his comments, I guess, this little segment, than his actual contract. I'm pretty happy that he signed. I think till 2025 makes sense. We'll see if he actually wants to, you know, race again under the new regulations. If he has a battle with Max Verstappen in 2025, I'm not sure he would return. If he wins a title, he definitely won't return. So this is what he said in the interview afterwards. We've had such an incredible journey together. Mercedes have supported me since I was 13. Such a long trip. And we, and we still have unfinished business. We're in this together. We've got a lot of work to do to get us back to the front. But there's no place I'd rather be. End quote. The new deal reportedly worth about $63.4 million. That's according to Sportsnet. That's where I found the number. Um, extends Lewis past his 40th birthday. So that's something that he talked about earlier in his career. He didn't think he'd be racing in his 40s. But this contract's going to take him to 40. He also responded to a question about whether he's seeking revenge over Max and Red Bull. And he says it's not about revenge for him, but he also had some colorful comments about Max Verstappen's teammates versus his. His exact quote was, all my teammates have been stronger than the teammates Max has had. So I thought it would be interesting to make that comparison. You know, Max has had Carlos Sainz in the Toro Rosso. And then Daniel Ricciardo, Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon, and Sergio Perez. While Lewis has had Fernando Alonso, Heike Kovalainen, Jensen Button, Nico Rosberg, Valtteri Bottas, and George Russell. So, let's break it down. Max Verstappen has lost to Daniel Ricciardo in 2016. And, you know, that still stands even if you take out the first four rounds while Max was still in the Toro Rosso. And again in 2017. He lost to Daniel. While Lewis has been defeated over a season by three of his teammates, Nico Rosberg in 2016, Jensen Button, and George Russell. I personally don't think Bottas was at his best, or, sorry, I personally don't think Bottas at his best was better than Daniel at his best, so I'll say that. And you could arguably say the same about George Russell, and certainly not, you know, Heike Kovalainen was Hamilton's worst teammate by far. I think Perez is close to Bottas's level. Um, I would say he's not quite there. So already I would say Daniel is better. Well, he's Max's best teammate for sure, and that's why Daniel beat him. And I would say Ricardo is better than Bottas. Well, really, he's better than all of the non-world champion teammates Lewis has had. That is, I think, fair to say. However, also, you look at the names Max has had, and some of you might be defending him, but I also want to note 
Signs, Gasly, Albon, all of them, they were not the best versions of themselves while, you know, they were against Max Verstappen for sure. I mean, this current Albon, I think, would do a hell of a lot better in the Red Bull. I think Carlos Sainz certainly would. I mean, he was a rookie going up against Max. And then Gasly was the worst version of himself. I don't think anyone would debate that. He was horrendous in the Red Bull. So you compare that with Lewis, who also faced those names. If you want to just go off name value. However, those names, Rosberg, Alonso, Button, he faced all of them at the peak of their powers. And that's unquestionably true. I mean, he faced Alonso right after he won the championship. He faced Button right after he won the championship. He won, or and then, of course, he lost to Rosberg in the same car. So Rosberg is a weird one to compare just because, they, you know, he that was the one that he uh, he went up against a world champion. And he the only reason Rosberg's a world champion is because he beat Lewis. So that one's a little bit different where Button and Alonso won world championships before they were teammates with Lewis. But anyway, I think you get what I'm saying. Max has never gone up against anyone like those three, like Rosberg, like Button, like Alonso. But to be fair to Max, I think Lewis also is completely underselling the challenge that Ricardo presented. And, and I mean, even Perez, to an extent, has presented. I think this is the exact same thing that I said to Kyle in the summer break recap. We can't just completely dismiss all of Verstappen's teammates, you know, it's what Max has done to these guys that has just destroyed their careers and destroyed their images, to be honest. I mean, Max Verstappen is a career killer. He didn't destroy Daniel's career. Daniel went and did that on his own after Max. I think what Daniel did alongside Max actually elevated his career. Everyone else, their images have been tarnished to an extent. I think Albon's on a bit of a recovery. But man, I mean... Signs, maybe not him either. I think Signs was seen as a pretty decent rookie as well, but Gasly for sure looked like damaged goods. And now Perez, people are on him more than they ever were. Meanwhile, he's getting the most podiums and best results of his life just because he's in a dominant car, of course. But anyway, I just think we have to credit Max Verstappen for doing what he's doing to these guys who are legitimate F1 drivers we can't just dismiss his teammates and say they're trash. We have to credit Max. That's all I want to say. So that will do it for episode 69 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back next week to preview the Singapore Grand Prix. Well, now history has been made again for Max Verstappen. Now it's how far can he go and can Red Bull continue their perfect season at one of the most challenging circuits? We'll see you in a couple weeks. Goodbye.